Hello and welcome to the week in review. It's uh, a new week, a bit of a slow news week, but um, we'll figure it out. And we have some things to discuss today that are um, that have been going on for for much longer than the last week. I'm, I'm joined as ever by uh, Luke Perry. Luke, how are you, sir? I'm very well, but the most important question at hand, the question that the audience demands from us, that it, the audience will tear this from our throat, is about the weather. Now, the weather today. It's been absolutely lovely, although it's mm. been tipping it down. It did it's rain been a nice cool yeah. off, but I haven't sweated once today. It's yeah, been amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's been a nice So uh, you two can see this, but my uh, I, I, I've shifted my, my room about, so uh, I'm no longer sat by the window, so I have to sort of crane my neck to look out the window and see the weather. But uh, yeah, it's been nice today. A little bit of rain in the morning, you know, sort of uh, got the grass all, all moistened and... Uh, sunny afternoon um but we will uh we will hastily end this week's weather report i mean however important it may be to introduce um the the new third man um mario lagos who is the um uh print editor at bornbrook uh, visual editor um visual mario... editor i think is the term visual editor mario um why don't you uh introduce yourself to the uh the, the listeners uh well as you said visual editor at bornbrook uh occasional writer and you know thinker dreamer doer and disciple of sam hyde in all things mm-hmm. so the, is, by the way going to do a boxing match on saturday which is going to be interesting not to before it's got we'll add a soup can to the end of that by by the end of the week um <clears throat> so the three of us have sort of formed some, something of a, of a trade union within bornbrook a, a, a caucus within bornbrook and uh so it, it made sense for uh, Mario to, uh, to to join the show in Michael's um, present absence. Um, and on that, we'll 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 get on to this week's uh, main topic, which is um, uh, seems to have been sort of hovering in the background of of British public life for quite some time now, since at least 2014, 15. Um, and that is the uh, Channel Crossing crisis. Um, seems to be one of the easier issues to stop as far as Britain's policy goes. I mean, you know, this is a point that I've made numerous times on uh, OCP in the past, but I mean, if you were a foreign warlord trying to invade the UK, the first thing that you'd factor in is that the UK is an island. You know, it, it doesn't have, you know, a fluid land border. You can't sneak through the mountains or some, you know, <clears throat> cliffside pass to get into the country. You need to come here by a boat. It's an island with a, with a strong naval tradition. I mean, it's it's... It doesn't need to be this easy to enter the UK. Is the first thing that needs to be said. Oh well, yeah, and it's, they're not just taking one boat to get here. They, um, if they begin their journey in uh, North Africa, they only go five ten miles off, off the coast of Tunisia or Libya, then are picked up by um, some um, Mediterranean fleet, usually from uh, Italy and the NGOs operating within that country. And then, of course, they are funneled up to Europe. Some go to uh, Germany and up, sometimes up to Sweden. But, and of course, a big bulk of it as well go through France and uh, try to land in Britain. Now, they usually um, set up camp in Calais. And um, it's, a, it's a very, very dangerous stretch of water, one of the most you know, choppy in the world. And that's why many deaths on it, tragically. But um, some do get across. But like in the... Um, like when they depart from Tunisia and Libya, sometimes they don't make it all the way and are picked up by the the RNLI, who um, happily 
ferry them here, put them up in uh, in hotels, and um, while not officially giving them citizenship, do do their best to make them permanent residents. And um, it's a disgrace. Mm. There's not much else to say. I think one of the things that this illegal migration crisis serves to illustrate is the elective toothlessness of the British state. And I don't mean the British government. I do believe, perhaps naively, there are people in the British government who sincerely want to deal with this issue. And there might be more who don't, but there are some who are, who do. Um, But the British state, the civil service, NGOs, charities, you know, the RLNI, uh, the border force, the unions within uh, the Royal Navy and so on, have made an active choice to facilitate the illegal crossings, not to enforce the law Mm. and to enable the trafficking. And because in terms of immigration, wider immigration discussion, the illegal numbers, although it's obscene, a thousand and more a day coming straight into a hotel near you at your expense, it's a fraction of the overall immigration number. But um, but it is illustrative of that uh, elective decision not to act. Yes, it it, it is a is a question of of political will. I mean. Um... That there does seem to be a a, a a culture of sedition among the non-ruling elite in you know <clears throat> various NGOs, arms of the military, the Royal National Lifeboat Institutes, Border Force, um, and the civil service. I mean, um, so on on Monday the the the, the record was set with um, thirteen hundred crossings, so twelve um, twelve hundred ninety five. Um, which is a, a, a remarkable number when you factor in that this year alone at least 22,000 have arrived um, add to that 28,000 last year. I mean, to put that in context, the the, the, the Great Heathen Army was estimated to be around 2,000, you know? Yeah. And, 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 that, and that was rightfully seen as being, you know, a, a hostile invasion. Um, even the BBC's own correspondent on the matter um, has admitted that the the numbers arriving are predominantly young men, um, which you know, very often the narrative around these crossings are that you know they're they're women and children and doctors and lawyers and engineers and you know people who are who are going to you know bring their delicious Maghrebi food to the to this country and all that sort of thing. But really, when you look at not only those arriving on the beaches but also um, those who have caused, you know, untold chaos in in various cities throughout Europe, and were ab- about to be dumped upon a, a small village in Yorkshire, are predominantly young men in their twenties. And throughout most of the uh, the migrant crisis, which began, of course, all the way in uh, sort of 2014 and 2015, when Merkel and the, the European contingent just basically threw open their borders, and the only people with you know, the resources and the strength to do so are predominantly young men. And um, I know uh, I was watching one of the videos of uh, an interview of some of a woman in Linston on news, and she, and she summarizes perfectly. It's got nothing to do with sort of race, color, or creed. It is just a large group of um, unemployed fighting age men with nothing to do is going to cause problems. Now, these problems will be exacerbated. That, uh, put it this way, they're not fully uh, accustomed to uh, Western values or, or, or lifestyles and beliefs that uh, we, we really take for granted in the West. I mean, Cologne saw this full on 
the New Year's Eve with um, the scandal that they had where um, many um, of the, the newly arrived uh, North African and Arab migrants that began a sort of night of sexual assault because it was a complete clash of, of the West and the East. But the West, as you said, Sam, there is a fifth columnist contingent within the Western world that turns a blind eye to it and may or may even endorse it. I mean, it's going away from the um, migration situation, but it just sort of simplifies this point we're making perfectly. One of the, the PM hopefuls, I forgot who it was, Kemi Benedict, in her in her role as government, when she want when she wanted single sex bathrooms in I think government buildings, she was met with opposition from the uh, the civil service and said it was quite fierce. An unelected body deciding the policies of Britain against the will of the average voter. And this is this is happening with migration. It's been happening for years. It's been happening for generations. I mean, the, the, the wave of mass migration began with um, Tony Blair all the way back, I think, before at least I was born. But again, the, the sort of ball was rolling much, much beforehand when you had Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech in the early 70s. And you had... Um, Again, the, the successive governments trying to brush the problems of uh, immigration under the rug. And now we're paying the consequences for it for a problem that should have been tackled about 40 years ago. I mean, the Border Force Union threatened to, or actually did, take the government to court uh, by means of judicial review in opposition to proposals that would see illegal migrant boats pushed back um, this is sort of like the firefighters union going on strike uh, in opposition to putting out fires. It is their job. Yes, that's their job. And the people who occupy those positions um, work to undermine the very existence of those positions and the reasons for their being. And when these people play ball, for example, with COVID lockdowns, irrespective of your view on them, uh, the government exerted huge amounts of power in order to enforce those lockdowns, mm. at least initially before they got bored of the whole thing. Um, although it was applied selectively, but when it was applied, it was applied very harshly. Uh, with the war in Ukraine, the government moved very, very quickly, uh, faster than any other country in Europe, to deploy anti-tank weapons which effectively blunted the first wave of Russian attack and potentially saved Kiev by basically dishing out these tank busters to militia units and so on who could get behind enemy lines. Uh, but when it comes to illegal immigration, um, nothing can be done. When it comes to grooming gangs, nothing can be done. I mean, the state, we have, we're a nuclear armed power. You know, we have enough firepower to sort of kill 100 million people with the push of a button yeah. but we can't defend our own borders we're on we're on the un security council permanent member um right. no yeah it does you know that, that the action or inaction here is, is just simply a matter of political will of which there is none um and the and the the hurdles here aren't just domestic they, they are foreign i mean the european court of human rights scuppered the first attempt of of deporting um migrants to 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 rwanda i mean a scheme that the, the british government spent billions on you know i mean it wasn't just you know rwanda wanted our refugees i mean we had to induce them with you know billions in in direct foreign investment um it, yeah it, it's 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 a it's a matter of of 
political will. Same thing is that with the grooming gangs where, you know, um, the the British state has, has proven itself capable of tracking down anonymous Twitter users. You know, it can find it can find people who shouldn't be in this country. And yep. toying with the, this, this point in my head regarding the, the British state, are they, um, I mean, we know it's a lack of political will, but are they, we understood that they are in effect anti doing these things. They're not just toothless. That It's not just one union that's scuppering the whole thing. It's, it's everything. I mean, from, um, as I say, the domestic border patrols, the RNLI to, to a court in Strasbourg. And, um, but the, the government, it's, are they complacent with this? Do they sit secretly want this to happen? I mean, they've certainly lived the, the same backgrounds and drink in the same bars as the people who, that they are supposedly against and want to you know, weed the woke out of politics. So well, what I can say is, is, so long as this monster is not broken, uh, the problems that we talked about, grooming gangs, immigration, cost of living, everything will not be solved. I mean, it, welfare, it, it's... <clears throat> sorry, go on. No, uh, Eva, The welfare officer of Oldham Council, or somebody of similar or equivalent position, was actively involved in grooming gangs in the Manchester mm. and Greater Manchester area. The outgoing head of Border Force, this was quoted in the Daily Mail, said uh, he doesn't believe in borders and thinks they're quite silly things or something to that effect. Um, so, as you say, these are these are people who are actively working against the reason for their own being. Yeah, I mean, it's also it's a uh, to 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 go into the inevitable meta political direction. I mean, it's 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 a it's a condition of the revolution and of the post revolutionary state where you know all arms of public and private life have to be weaponized in favor of the revolution. In um, doing this, I mean, I think these people have sort of learned from past regimes which you know could sort of were almost too evil to justify in any way where you know things are more things are done more subtly in this day and age you know and and the way you where you have it is you have people essentially you have revolutionaries masquerading in various professions you know you have revolutionaries in border force masquerading as border agents you have revolutionaries in the civil service masquerading as civil servants you have border forces in the courts masquerading as judges and lawyers and barristers you know um so in a way, it's almost benign, you know, it's almost like it's just people sort of, you know, in the spur of the moment doing what they believe is the right thing, as opposed to what it actually is, which is, you know, it's just a condition of a state of permanent revolution. Um, how they sort of activate their power is, of course, they first sort of seize their grip on this nation through the countermarch through the institutions. So, of course, they were taught all these you know, very revolutionary and very extreme ideas in universities in the 60s and 70s, then were funneled throughout positions of social importance, be it the media, the civil service or whatnot. And then how they sort of cemented it was they used the, um, the legitimacy and the authority and the trust of these institutions to then subvert it. But my query about the future is that, but now that's just subverted, and now we can see with probably the naked eye that these institutions are corrupted and they do not work for their purpose. Well, now these institutions have lost all credibility. So that's, I suppose, a question to both of you. What, what will well, it, 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 the The question of, of credibility depends to, um, to whom they perform, right? I mean, you, you can always compare it to, you know, you know there's videos of, you know, just 
batshit insane Scientologists who just go off on ex-members, right? You know, they're not doing it to win over the public. They're doing it to impress David Miscavige, right? They're performing for a particular audience who who is not us, you know? I mean, when these people, when, when, they, when they do these obviously morally heinous things, um, you know, as far as enabling, you know, be it through complicity or through purpose, you know, a considerable change in the social, demographic, and cultural spheres. They aren't doing it to win over the public because these policies are unpopular in, in every hinterland and, and you know and, and and small town in the country. They're performing for a, for a different audience, one which is you know so far above the rate above the the reaches of the average plebeian that they are so detached from the consequences of their actions that, that, that they'll never believe that what they're doing is wrong, or at least never have it, you know, slapped ac across their face. Um, so, I mean, we say, you know, that they've lost credibility, yes, to us, but I mean, not to the real movers and shakers, you know, which is the, which is the alarming part. Well, the problem is, is that the public don't do anything. Uh, hmm. In a way, democracy, uh, is quite a good free market form because everybody has the exact same amount of currency to spend uh, you know without getting into that too much about the power of money and politics and so on but fundamentally it's one man one vote okay so in a free market system you can you know buy the best products and not buy the worst ones and put certain companies out of business and encourage others to hire more employees, expand their range and so on. So you're going to get the best products and the best companies, hypothetically. Uh, but in democracy, people uh, will not bother to vote uh, in a way that aligns with their interests or um, they won't bother to exercise any other democratic power protests or anything like that i mean will, will of... that will that do anything though? like if you go into a shop 10 days in a row and each day you slap a miles bar down on the counter and the, the, the guy gives you a bounty you know after a certain amount of time you can think well i'm just going to get a bounty so what's the point i don't like yeah, that well, i'm just making people sick i i, I hear that. you but i mean you know, if all these people in South Wales, for example, who vote 90% for Labour because they can't see what's happening to the rest of the country and they don't have internet access, you know, if they voted for you... Sorry, South Wales. <laughs> they voted for you 100%, you know, okay, something's going to happen. That's a tremor. Um, so you have to do... It's worth doing something rather than nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I obviously agree. You know, we shouldn't just roll over and take it. But I mean, it's just a question of you know, is that is that the way it, it'll happen? I mean, um, you know, I think there is a lot to be learned from the progressive revolution. In that it was very litigious. It was done through the courts. It was done through you know, the manipulation of laws and through of education rather than you know, bar Clement Attlee. What was the sweeping, open oh, yeah. left wing victory in the polls? Yeah, look, I, I see I see what you're getting at in the sense that um, it's almost beyond that point. Now. Um, if you could go back to the, like 1960 or 1974, uh, when Wilson was running and he wanted to abolish the death penalty and have various other social reforms 
which have been doubled down on in the time intervening, then rejected him, okay, possibly not in favour of Ted Heath, uh, possibly in favour of other, I'm thinking of one in particular, individuals in the Conservative Party who were around at that time, who made particularly sensible points about some of the issues we've raised just now then we could have seen a different trajectory. I don't think the civil service would have been captured in 1965. Uh, academia, maybe. Um, so yeah, okay, we can't, there's no one that we can really go out and vote for to solve all the problems. Um, I, I agree with that. But also, I mean, um, you know, I mean, the, 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 this, this sort of maybe my recent forays into elite theory talking here, but I mean, I, I, I don't believe that mass organization is the right way to go about it. I mean, I, I, I struggle to see a single revolution that was authentically bottom up. You know, it's all top down. Um, even the ones that appear to be spontaneous are top down. You know, I mean, the, 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 the Russian revolution is supposedly in the name of the proletariat, but, you know, all of its central figures were, you know, apparatchiks and intellectuals. Um, rather than you know the mass, um, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm very skeptical of of any form of mass movement being more effective than you know just a very organised minority. So what what the, the democratic system does best to, to secure some tyrannical power is that it's subversive. Now we talked about this before through the infiltration of the institutions, but this is how it performs its revolution from above so to speak, and it implants its, its ideas and thinking and patterns and behaviours that it wants from the people onto the people. It's through, of course, mass media, mass culture, which has already been established that the people that work in these are friends and lovers and family of those in political power or those in sort of NGO office and, and the civil service. So in effect, you have this web that's acting in one direction it's moving forward in one direction and uh, whether i mean we talked about that they don't care what people think but if if they don't care what if the people don't like them then they don't care they double down they use the hard power but as i said they, they try to sort of mold them into i know this is a cliche a lot but the current thing as you talked about they wanted people to be compliant with lockdowns hence that they have very heavy advertising onto the mainstream press which was effectively neutered and in compliance and you saw and again how quickly it shifted into ukraine soon the masks come off and ukrainian flags come up and well, now i don't that you even necessarily say uh in whole or in large part that those were the wrong things to do now they might or might, might or might not be but i don't necessarily say that what i'm saying is why can't we extend that level of state power uh, into other areas? Uh, because it, because right right now it's out of our hands and we're nowhere near it. Oh yeah, um, sort of a rhetorical. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's. I mean, and the, the other thing that, that you mentioned was was sort of protest. I mean, um, uh, if if you at home wish to go onto the uh, Bornbrook <laughs> channel on YouTube, you'll find a video that I made about this. <laughs> which I I thought of the you know, the futility of protest, which is essentially states that um, the 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 progressive regime has a complete monopoly on protest. The only ones the only ones that survive the ire of the media class are ones that are, that, that are you know that the elite are 
or have sympathies with, you know, BLM, XR, um, Women's March, um, you know, all, all of those things. Um, whereas, you know, if, if we were to meet up and protest somewhere, um, it would either not be reported at all or would be turned into some moral panic. Um, the success or failure of a protest movement is predetermined. Yes, but um, uh, we, we saw that, for example, when uh, war veterans and um, football fans and some hooligans came out to defend statues and so on. I yep. mean, the, the, that, that's been evidenced. However, if you could go back 20 or 30 years, or perhaps further, we don't quite know, to when these grooming gangs, for example, were in their embryonic stage, and if the people of Rotherham or wherever else uh, had the balls to come out onto the streets and say, we won't tolerate this. We will picket the sites of the alleged and actual abuse. We will um, picket these businesses, you know, in a way not dissimilar from the way the miners um, fought in 1983-4. Um, I don't think that would have been completely hopeless. I don't think that would have been. Just very quickly, one thing I'll say about the... I picked up the Hungarian conservative from WH Smith, which I was surprised they stopped. And they were talking about the way that Orban has essentially been trying to build a right-wing state apparatus for 20 years. And he's been elected with a two-third parliamentary majority in this most recent election. Hmm. And the two things are not unconnected. Yeah, no, no, listen, listen. I, 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 think, I think democracy is basically being... Um... The sport of politics is, you know, a, a, a load of poppycock. But I mean, it, but its inauthentic and easily corruptible nature can just be turned to our advantage. Um, you know, it, it, it's not, you know, discarding a corrupt system because, you know, it'll always be the corrupt system. It's just a matter of, you know, sort of harnessing it. It's just there's always power. All that yeah. matters is who's on top. There's always, there's always power. Power is always top down. There's always power imbalance. Um, it's just a question. We're at the point now where it's a question of you know, would you rather you be under the boot heel or or, or your opponents? Um, it's, it's not a particularly nice thing to say or to hear, but I mean, it's you know, it's 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 just cold realism. Um, it, it's in effect a, a, a proxy civil war for the survival of, of our own states. I mean, that's you know, something worth you know breaking a few eggs for and so and so there, there will be an omelette hopefully <laughs> but yeah um i mean I, I say i don't like to talk about this i don't like to talk about the, the devolution into like civil unrest and violence and, and uncertainty and neighbor turning against neighbor but it's coming our, but yeah I, I agree you look at the animal kingdom you look at our closest cousins the chimpanzees chimpanzees are highly tribal and they're very very violent i mean if we hadn't invented spears and tools we would be ripping each other limb from limb yes yeah, so you, you're referring to that, the that's, uh, that, that's our closest dna representative you're referring to the 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 gombe chimpanzee war which shattered jane goodall's entire body research that they were peace peaceful animals um, yeah was that when was that when we found out the, 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 humans the, pre a genocide. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. yeah, essentially. Yeah, that. Um, not only do they pre-plan and coordinate these things, they they celebrate after the fact. Um, yeah, I, I quite like the the discovery that some poor 
scientists made that chimpanzees were not vegan. No, they chase these these little colobus monkeys yeah. through the trees, and when they get hold of them, <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll 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 keep the chimp chat to 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 a minimum there. It's sort of off topic, but um, well, as a an attaché, uh, I disagree. I think the English will go quietly into their good night in Italy. The uh, Maloney will be elected with sixty percent. Her coalition will be elected with sixty percent of the seats in September. Uh, in Spain, you might have seen the footage that was doing the rounds recently, where the Spanish police were beating the illegal migrants who were attacking them. By the way, violently, the illegal migrants were attacking the police violently. They were beating them back into the sea. They were def- they were defending their own land. Uh, the French voted. Uh, did they vote 40% for the national rally? And they won, and I've seen conflicting data on this, with every age group under 60 or 65, they won. It was only the old people, the literal small C conservatives, uh, who rejected the national rally. Uh, however, the English are too polite to kick up a fuss. They think it's all over already. I mean, I see something will pop up in my news feed and it will say great calamity befalls England of unprecedented nature and Baz from Ken or wherever. He says, oh, sick of this now, had enough. Or, you know, and then in the next day, oh, it's got to stop, you know, and it never, nothing ever happens. So you sort of think, well, yes, this is an issue that um, has come up numerous times in the past, which is that the English are just not a radical people. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, in the past, it served us very well. I mean, England never fell to the uh, continental revolutions of the 18th century. You know, England never fell to uh, fascism or communism. You know, these are good things. But also in the face of, you know, what can only now be labelled existential risk, be it socially, culturally or demographically, um, it's just sort of strongly written letters. Um, yeah, it's like putting an invasive species into a herd of sloths or something. It's like yeah. putting, it's like importing crestwars into the UK. You know, it's like putting crestwars in, into the UK, a completely a hostile species who will just, you know, um, outcompete the the already established group. And yeah, it's um, it's something that in the past again has served Britain very well. It's you know, it's it's sort of it's what took us into battle with Napoleon. Um, and one, um, you know, that sort of, I mean, outside of small pockets, that revolutionary fervor never really hit the UK until the, 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 the invisible revolution of the last 60 or so years. Um, the interesting uh, thing, sorry, I thought you'd, I thought you'd finished. Go on, go on. The, um, one of the problems is that people don't have permission to take action because um, of the ways in which speech is controlled by things like Ofcom, by social media giants, um, and by the way the streets are controlled. So absent of all those things, you've got a better chance. But for example, you know, I know people who watch Nigel Farage and think that's quite a naughty thing to do, you know, on GB News, where he sort of says, you know, nothing that uh, the average 50-year-old doesn't agree with completely in every area without thinking. So 
And people think that's naughty. People think that's really right wing. I mean, he's pro he's pro drug legalization, isn't mm. he, Nigel Farage? He's a sort of a libertarian. Uh, which yeah, he's, he, he's he he's a Whig who doesn't like hearing Erdogan on the train. Oh uh, yeah, and this is mm. this is considered too right wing, too sort of too much red meat. Yeah. Um, for the mainstream, that's a fringe right figure in this country. Somebody who in another country would be a liberal. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's just the talking about um, different societal, cultural, political taboos and what lines can't be crossed, what can, what's the status quo, what can you say without societal repercussions. But we've had that divide within our own nation a million times over. We have it in our own households, we certainly have it in our own workplaces. I mean, we probably speak to people every day and we sometimes it drifts onto the subject of politics or whatever cultural malaise it is, Ukraine, who knows. But I can just see myself thinking sometimes, me and you don't live in the same moral universe. You're, you're saying things that are the status quo that you believe without thinking, without question, that you perceive dogmatically to be correct. But no, I can shatter your worldview in five words. Yeah, it, it, is, it, it is almost as if you're in a cinema and it's, it's packed out and half the crowd are watching one film and half are watching a completely different yeah. film. You know, half watching a horror, half watching a comedy. You know, it's, it's, it's almost bizarre that, that how, how different the, just, just, just completely different the moral outlook is of it, even, even among, you know, families now. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody recently, very highly intelligent, uh, very high up in, in, a, in a profession, as in of the professions, one of the professions, um, very, very competent person. And we sort of talked about coal and the ways it's used for steel production and fracking and things like that. And I said, well, we should mine coal in this country and use it to make steel. And they said, oh, so you're a climate change denier. And then within 30 seconds, when I explained the way that steel is made, no. And the options for um, procuring and extracting coal, and that we either produce it here or import it. Then all of a sudden, oh, well, it, well, it does make sense. Yes, 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 yes. It's like people have never heard mm. an opposing argument. They just hear whatever Greta Thunberg or whatever the latest cheerleader is for any given issue and just regurgitate it, uh, as Luke said, without thinking. And yeah. these are people with an IQ of 130. I, I I've had many conversations with people where you know I mean recently the topic of you know fuel prices has come up you know the fact that you know by by the winter people will have to start making decisions you know what do they cut out of their lives food or fuel and um, you know it's a complete catastrophe in in like we're just waiting to happen you know like um, it's like you know uh, a, a car's about to hit you but everything's gone just into slow motion you can just see it happening there's nothing you can do about it and the most common response I hear from even my age is, you know, yeah, we, we need to get renewables out. We need, to, we need to start using renewable energy. But that's the reason we're in this mess. Yeah. It's, it's because, because the government has de facto outlawed all effective fuel, short, fuel sources. I was having a conversation with somebody who works at a nuclear power plant the other day who is against nuclear power. 
um, because they said it's not renewable, which it is. It meets the definition of renewable. But you know, people who work in nuclear power plants don't know that nuclear power is renewable. I'm being serious. This is this is real. As because pe pe people people think nuclear and they hear Fukushima and they hear Chernobyl. Um, yeah, it's got very bad PR. Um, but I mean, again, it's like all things, you know. Um, it's like we 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 sort of say in 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 sort of the COVID era of the podcast, you know. Um, if you really zeroed in on the amount of deaths from heart disease or auto crashes or just falling over, you know, um, then, you know, you would go into that same sort of mortality spiral. It's the same thing, you know, I mean, nothing is without risk. Nothing is without, you know, some drawback. It's just a matter of, you know, do you want to have abundant energy or not? Do you want to rely on yourself or not? Um, those, those are two very clear questions to answer, and, and you know, and, and you know, climate change or fuel costs can go out the window. There, do you want effective domestically produced energy or not? And if you don't, then you know you can't say with any honesty that you have the national interest, interest at heart. And um, on on that, I think we'll 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 move to our closing arguments and and, and get out of here. Um, is there anything any of you want to say to uh, send us home? And we've sort of tied up here uh, what the elites think, what they're actively doing, and that they're against everything at least we stand for. And then we've sort of drifted onto the people who are sort of beholden to this. Now, just to give my another anecdote of when I was talking to someone about something, sort of about someone um, at the pub the other day about uh, electric cars. You know, he's, he's got a Tesla, God bless him. And uh, he says, well, that's that's an investment in the future. I'm thinking what cars usually depreciate in value. I mean, I agree. If Taiwan falls, we lose all our semiconductors. Any car's going to be an investment. And they said, no, 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 it's saving the planet. And uh, I just put my hand on the shoulder and swing in the other hand and say, do you know what a lithium mine looks like? And do you know the poor orphan slaves in the Congo who mine it for hmm. 16 hours on end? Just so you can... Yeah. drive around thinking of that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, again, it comes down to lack of information. These people don't know that electric cars aren't exactly eco-friendly. They're, they're much worse than cars that run on normal petrol in every metric. Mm. Well, the, the lithium is the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's curious stories in places uh, where they'll begin lithium extraction and all the fish in the water will turn up dead when the fishermen go to catch them the following morning so there's there's particular ecological damages however i've had this conversation with a few people and there are apparently studies that show over the lifetime and bearing in mind the production of electric cars releases a huge amount of carbon you have to transport the raw material all around the world and then you have to put the things together with human and automated labor and then distribute things um however i am told that over the lifetime of an electric car vis-a-vis -vis a diesel car there is a small saving, um, but that's such a negligible, you know, such a radical, even if that's true, which it might not be, because people always change these equations to fit to fit whatever they like. Even if that's true, it's such a pointless social revolution for absolutely no tangible benefit, which basically describes Britain for the past 40 years. But also, everything is just a status symbol, isn't it? The Tesla is a status symbol, the Ukrainian oh, yeah. flag. Data symbol. Yeah. 
but also, I mean, so and this is the last thing I'll, I'll say. The matter is this, but just, just, just think about it just logically. If you, if you factor in you know, the plan to have what a hundred percent electric cars by a certain year, I think twenty fifty, then um, that would require there being a charging port effectively on every street in the country, numerous per street. Um, add to that, you know, fueling homes and schools and offices and and military bases and all, all that sort of thing, right? The amount of energy that that would require, while also defenestrating the evidently abundant sources of it being, you know, uh, gas, coal, and nuclear, you would in effect need to turn every piece of land that isn't London, Manchester, Birmingham into a wind farm into a solar farm, you know, you would need to effectively abolish rural England and turn it all into power stations if, if you want to generate that much energy. If you're ever unfortunate enough to tune into BBC Radio 2 or similar, perhaps when you're in the car or whatever else, you'll hear it's becoming increasingly common for advocates to be invited on to argue that we should do away with agricultural land and build solar farms on top of real farms you know in place of in substitute for real farms and when they're asked how should we get by where will we eat our food well it's two things first of all we're not going to eat meat because that, that the the density the utility of the land is is, is is more so with with meat and secondarily we'll import it and thirdly, although they don't say it, perhaps we could eat bugs, and perhaps this is this is one for the next one. Mm. Yes, mm. indeed. Well, uh, on uh, on that bombshell, uh, we will leave on it that there. Bug yeah. that, on that bombshell, we will leave it there for another week. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for Mario for joining us. So I'll, I'll look forward to uh, again next week. Uh, thank you, thank you to Luke for coming on again. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Cheers. <laughs>